Well, here's a question from a listener. Dan, shouldn't I be happy with just better than average? Now, what do you think? I mean, we all have a sense of what we deserve. Is there a level of success where we should just settle in and be content? And does personal growth always mean more financial success? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, as you can tell from the setup there, we've got some interesting challenges to move into today to think through. What does it mean to be successful? Does it mean that you have more than your neighbors? Or are there other kind of parameters for that? Well, some of the questions we're going to be looking at, and again, this is 48 Days Podcast. If you're new, welcome in. We welcome you in. The 48 Days comes from my belief that you can dramatically change the direction of your life in 48 days. You don't have to wait till the kids get out of high school, till the mortgage is paid off, till you take care of your own student loan debt. No, you can change your life in 48 days dramatically. And I'll give you some examples of people who are doing just that. But here's some of the questions. Dan, my salary just isn't enough to make ends meet. I also need friends. I have none at the moment. Here's another one. How can I start a business when I need more money, but I have to take care of my family? Someone says, I need help with money for applying for patent pending for invention ideas. All right, we'll dig into that. I'm currently struggling with starting out and monetizing my passion for coaching and helping people with self-growth. And then we're going to wrap up with this one. My biggest challenge is the temptation to be okay with being mediocre. All right, here's our quotation for today that plays on that. This comes from C.S. Lewis, a great theologian and writer, who said, something deep in the human heart breaks at the thought of a life of mediocrity. Think about that. I mean, I, I really, I agree with that so much. Something deep in the human heart breaks at the thought of a life of mediocrity. Okay, here's our resource. I've got 10 quotations to keep you motivated toward your dream. Ties in with what we're going to be talking about here. If you just go to 48days.com slash motivate, you'll find those. 10 quotations to keep you motivated toward your dream. Well, somebody says, I have an income problem. My monthly expenses and bills exceed my monthly income, plain and simple. And we live very modestly. My running joke is that I don't buy anything new except food and underwear. My wife doesn't work, doesn't want to work. My salary just isn't enough to make ends meet. I do have a passion, not my full-time job, and I want to find ways to monetize it other than the obvious, which will produce nothing more than chump change. But it's the most fun and rewarding. So I'm looking at other ways to make money from it. I also need friends. I have none at the moment. Wow. You know, there is nothing that will make you money faster than having a lot of the right friends. I mean, that's going to be the focus of some of these live events we've got coming up. I'm going to talk about 48 meaningful friends, 48 meaningful bagels, 48 meaningful experiences, and going to look through how to do those. 
you've got to expand your network of friends. And there are ways to do that. I mean, just if you just reach out to 10 people, say, wow, you're on my list of people I'd like to get to know better. Can we spend 20 minutes over a cup of coffee? I mean, people will do that. People are open to that. Successful people are willing and generous to give you their advice and opinions. But you got to take the initiative. You can't just wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, will you be my friend? You know, it's funny watching little kids. They do it seemingly a lot better than we do as adults. This idea of making friends. I got a granddaughter and she's part of Ashley's family where they travel full time. They'll pull in a new campsite. I mean, 30 minutes, Ellie knows 30 people there that she considers her friends. I mean, just watch, watch a child get out and make friends. Well, somebody says, finding the capital to need my business is my biggest challenge. How do you start a business when you need money, but you have to take care of your family? How can I justify spending $2,000 to start a business when I don't know if it will be worth that investment? Okay, now you got a lot of pack, questions packed into those couple questions there. When we start a business, we can't be guaranteed that it's going to be successful. That's part of the whole idea of starting a business. There's a chance that it won't work. Now, you can be pretty confident. I mean, if you buy a lawnmower and you're going to go door to door in your neighborhood and get yards to mow, you're going to get customers for that. I mean, if nothing else, you just have to be a little cheaper than the guy down the street. I mean, there's not a lot of risk in a business like that, except for the fact you may end up not making enough money to make it worthwhile. If you're just trying to be cheaper, you have to find a better distinct advantage than that. But there's some unknowing I hate to use the word risk, but there's a sense of unknowing with anything that we start that we haven't done before. That's the whole idea of growing, of experimenting, of being creative, innovative. You move into things you haven't done before, and it's going to elevate your opportunities for success. And really, you know, lack of money is never an obstacle. I mean, I talk about that a lot on here. Lack of a good idea and a plan of implementation is what will hold you back. But if you've got a great idea, it will attract money. Now, when you talk about $2,000, I don't know what kind of a business you're wanting to start. That's certainly not a lot. Not a lot. Maybe a course you're going to take or something. $2,000, don't take money out of your salary. Just find that money. And let me give you an example of how to find that money. I mean, go out and look around in your garage. I'll bet you you've got $2,000 worth of things out there that you haven't used in a year that you could sell and get rid of. Check in what you have in the attic. Maybe the last move you had, you put stuff up in the attic because you didn't have a place for it, and now you've lived in the house for 10 years, you still haven't used it. Pull that stuff down. Turn it into money. You know, I love the idea of just finding things that other people don't need. This morning, we were in my mastermind. Our task was to repurpose. This is just a creative exercise. There's a jail. I think I've mentioned it on here a couple weeks ago. There's a jail that is for sale. It's a 34 cell jail. It's in a little town just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And it's for sale for $195,000. There's almost 10,000 square feet of building there. 5,300 is just office and administrative space, and then 34 cells. And we brainstormed, we had a blast, brainstormed on what we could do to repurpose that space. Now, we aren't really going to go in and buy the property. I don't want to have property three states away. 
But uh, we had a lot of fun just thinking through what are the possibilities there. It could be a restaurant. It could be a church. It could be a rehab center for single moms. You know, it, for I mean, for drug addicts, and it could be a a home away from home for you know maybe single moms to help them get started. We went through tons of ideas that we could have there, but we also talked about you know stumbling on things that other people think are trash that we can use. And I mentioned that I just recently rescued a Herman Miller chair. Now, Herman Miller office chair, it's the highest highest end chair I know of. And I was out walking in our neighborhood, and there was one sitting on the street to be hauled away from the trash. And I got it and brought it home, checked it out. It's absolutely immaculate in every way. It's like right out of the showroom. But the rollers on it were a little rough. Now, I don't know what caused that. I really don't. I don't know what would do that if, unless you were driving it down the street an asphalt street or something. So I spent $34 on brand new rollers for the chair. And it's perfect. Now, because it is such a valuable chair, my wife, having the the big heart that she does, said, Dan, you really need to talk to that lady because it's a widow lady. We know the lady who lives in the house where I found it. And uh, she says, you really need to talk to Dot and just tell her you you're happy to give the chair back to her. So I did. I talked to her. I said, Dot, that chair is an amazing chair. It's the most expensive office chair I know of. I put new rollers on it. She said, well, yeah, the rollers were leaving black marks on my wooden floors. I said, well, Dot, I put brand new rollers on it. It's like brand new. I'll be happy just to bring it back. She says, oh, no, I already bought another one that I really like. I'm glad you enjoy it. And that was the end of it. But the chair, I mean, I looked it up. It's $2,345. Now, back to your issue here about finding $2,000 to start a business. I mean, if you walk around our neighborhood, and I'm sure there's a lot of neighborhoods like this, on Thursday mornings, trash day, and I see art pieces, furniture, TVs, and more. Just people going through changes, and they just put things out to get rid of them. Don't know how else to get rid of them. It's easier than having to pay somebody to haul it away. There's all kinds of things that you could find that you can repurpose. So I, I think you can come up with... $2,000 to start a business without having to just sacrifice the money you need for your family. If you're really motivated to start a business and, and a lot of businesses don't need to be expensive. And I started a business one time where I had, I, I bought a telephone address book from a, you know, stationary card shop. I saved the receipt. It was $15 and 36 cents. It was a really nice one. And then I went out, I went to a church and said, I'll put ads on the inside cover of this and then on the outside back cover, inside and outside back cover as well. So I had 18 spots, sell advertising there. And I said, I'll give you then a thousand copies of this telephone address book with the church logo or photo on the front cover. And then you open it up and it'll have whatever you want in there, plan of salvation, your church schedule, whatever you want in there. And I'll give this to you free. Well, they loved it. I sold those advertising spots, produced the thousand copies to give to the church, and put four thousand dollars in my pocket. I mean, that was the simplicity of the idea. I had seen it done, I just replicated it. So I spent fifteen dollars and thirty-six cents on the first sample that I had, took it to church, and then I, I did that. I did that over a period of two years, or I did a lot of those for churches, 
banks, universities. Uh, the most profitable one I ever did was for the Corvette plant in Bowen Green, Kentucky. I mean, every vendor in town wanted to be in that book. So if it's a dentist, a chiropractor, a physician, whatever it was, they wanted to be in there because they know that those people have access to healthcare that's going to more than take care of anything they need. They wanted to be the one that was featured in there. So it's just an idea like that. Now, when, when we talk about startup costs on businesses, I mean, you have to realize 26% of business startups right now don't require any capital at all. Nothing. They're just ideas. And that number is increasing because we have so many things that are just, they're just an idea, you know, an app that you develop or a software program that you develop or, or you develop a course. I mean, when we go on up, I mean, 34% of businesses need less than $5,000. Then another 9%, I mean, so we're at about 60% that re require less than $10,000. Even you hear about these businesses, you know, they need, you know, $10 million to start you have to realize those are very, very rare. The big majority of businesses being started are not capital intensive. You can start with very, very little. I mean, I, boy, there, there's other businesses. I started a business one time where I put in $1,000. And at the end of the first month, I took the $1,000 back out, put it back in my account, and a business just went on. And that business now generates a couple hundred thousand dollars a year for me. So it wasn't a matter of having a lot of money to start. It was just an idea that would produce something. All right, well, let's go on. Hey, I hope that it gives you some encouragement to dig into that. Don't let the idea of having a little bit of money to start a business stop you from doing it. There are always creative ways that you can do that. Okay, somebody says, Dan, I need help with money for applying for patent pending for invention ideas. Money to help with getting prototypes created and applying to companies to buy ideas or inventions and free help or free advertising for an existing website. All right, now, people get wrapped up in this and a lot of times waste a lot of time and money trying to get patents and protection for ideas that may not be worth protecting. The first thing you do is get out there and see if anybody really cares about the idea that you have. And you can get prototypes done very, very inexpensively if you need something like that. I worked with a young guy one time who had, I just thought of this, he had an idea for a better weightlifting glove. Now, I'm not a weightlifter, so I couldn't really appreciate how it was better, but the way it strapped to your wrist and everything, he assured me it was better. And he wanted to sell his idea, you know, sell his idea to Reebok or Nike. And I said, you know, they're not going to think your idea is worth anything? I said, why don't you go out and get orders for 10,000 pair of these gloves? Then you'll have a story to tell. Then somebody will think it's worth a lot of money. And that's exactly what he did. So he had a prototype made. Now it was very, very rudimentary in how he had it made, but it displayed the idea of what it would do. He took that to health and fitness centers everywhere he went. They wanted them. They ordered him. He got those $10,000 or 10,000 orders. And then he did go to one of the major brands and they did reward him very, very well for that. I mean, it can be done, but before you spend a lot of money on prototypes and getting patents and those kind of things that require a lot of money, I want you to get a couple books by Stephen M. Key. It's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M Key. And one of his books that I value tremendously is titled One Simple Idea. Turn your dreams into a licensing gold mine while letting others do the work. I mean, that's what he helps you understand how to do. If you just have the idea, you can turn that into licensing 
having other people take the idea and develop it without ever requiring a penny out of your own product. And there are ways to do that, but you need to know who makes those decisions, who to contact. I mean, if you go to McDonald's and say, you know, I've got a better design for a ketchup holder so people can dip their French fries in it. You know, there's no way they're going to touch that. They don't want you there. They don't want to hear your idea. Dealing with somebody from the outside like that, there's more chance of litigation. They don't even want to hear your idea because if they come up with something similar a year from now, then you're likely to go back and say, well, I told them about that. That was my idea. They don't want to get involved in that. It's messy. The companies don't want to hear from outside people like that. But Stephen Key knows how to turn your ideas into money. Another book he has is Sell Your Ideas With or Without a Patent. So I would encourage you to do those two, get those two books before you move any farther in trying to invest money in patents yourself. Incidentally, we've got a a patent attorney in our 48 Days Eagles community. If you really need a patent attorney, let me know and I can connect you uh, with Steve. Okay, next one. How to build enough income to step away from full-time W-2 work. What is the right way to think about work? How can I be a good steward of my resources? I'm not comparing myself to the young entrepreneur who makes millions a year. Well, to to step away from your full-time W-2 work, and you know, that's certainly not something that I recommend for everybody, but if you want to do it, there are ways to do it. Now, my recommendation is that you start with your 15 hours a week, you know, start using that time where you can get to the point where you are generating 50% of your current income. And I recommend that you find a way to do that within six months. So get to where you're generating on the side 50% of your current income, then you can really see the trajectory and realize that, well, if you spend all your time in your business, you ought to be able to fill the gap and more move on. I just worked with a gentleman, a very competent gentleman. He's making over $300,000 a year. And we worked through this process. He wants to move away from the company, but doesn't want to just burn the bridge. And so what he came back with just sent me a note on this, is that he thinks he can do a full replacement of his current salary W-2 income, over 300000 in 12 to 18 months while still working full time. So I'm totally in agreement with that. I mean, that's a, that's a very reasonable goal. And with the things that we outlined that he's already started to implement, he's right on track to be able to do that. So he's looking at 12 to 18 months to, to totally replace his income. And at that point, the transition then is going to be pretty painless. Well, somebody else says, I don't want to go back to a W-2 life. How can I succeed as a write, writerpreneur? There's a new term for me, a writerpreneur and authorpreneur. Well, I like those terms. Well, you can, and here's another one that's kind of similar to that. Dan, how can I leverage my skills of creating, writing, and speaking, communicating to help create the life I love? and to move toward financial security while continuing to be a full-time pastor. Okay. In answer to these questions, you know, how can you get out of W2 life? How can you succeed as a writer, as a speaker, communicator? You have to create things that will provide residual income, not just linear. If we take any amount of money, if it's $100,000 a year or $300,000 a year, whatever you want. If we break that down to 40 hours a week, it's going to be significant to generate that. Don't look at it like that. Think about things that you could do 
that where you could do it once and get paid over and over and over again. I mean, that's always the way that I look at it. And and the things that you can do when it comes to writing, speaking, encouraging, coaching, and so on, is, you know, you can create products where you have a course or a little video session that you take people through or you record it and that it's there for them. You can have an ebook. Yesterday I got from uh, Melissa Goff in our 48 Days Eagles community, a little 32-page book study journal that she did. So it's very, very small. You can use one with any book that you want to sit down and read, where it'll help you capture the memorable things in there, help you capture the quotations that you want to remember in there. And so then you've got this this just real slim little guide that you can slip in the book. So when you go and pick up it again, pick it up again, you can remember and be reminded of the very things that were important to you. So you can do things like that. I mean, you can do things like that just all day long. Now recognize I am a writer. I love being a writer, but when I look at, and my writing, I, I mean, it's no secret. My writing has made me a significant, significant amount of money. But last year, the income from my book sales was less than 1% of my income. So it's the concepts in my books that I leverage into other things, live events like we're doing right now, the coaching that I do, the membership site that we have, my mastermind, speaking opportunities, affiliate commissions. Those are all ways that just leverage the message of 48 Days that are way outside the idea of just selling books. So as a writer, you've got to get beyond, get your head beyond the idea that you're just going to sell a lot of books. That's probably not going to make you wealthy. Somebody says, okay, this, this is more of the same. Uh, I lost my job about eight months ago. I've had to reevaluate what I want out of life. I've read 48 Days to the Work You Love and uh, No More Mondays, among a few others, decided I want to start my own business. It's taken me a few months, but I've narrowed down my interests, passions, and skills, and I feel like I'm heading in the right direction toward a goal now. The challenge is to convert this new venture into income before I eat all our savings away. I'm not worried at the moment, but the stakes are a little higher than just starting a business on the side while you still have your day job. I don't have much room for trial and error. All right, now, in the process that I recommend, the 15 hours, or I recommend you spend some time, you know, learning, 20% of your time learning, 33% creating, 27% earning, 20% planning. When I talk about starting a business, I don't envision it for anybody where you start and then you learn, you understand systems, you build a plan, execute it, and then a year from now you start making money. No, I want you to think about starting a business where you're making money from day one. I mean, you're always going to be learning and refining systems, growing you know, significant over those first couple of years, but don't wait to start making money. When I started what I'm doing today, all the things that I'm doing today I mean, that have changed dramatically over the years, but the first thing, the low-hanging fruit, was coaching people individually. We were coming out of that Sunday school class. People were standing in line wanting to spend time with me individually to have help them understand, really, how to understand their greatest gifts from God, how to focus those and turn those into meaningful, purposeful, productive work on Monday morning. That was ready right there. I started immediately, way before I had any books, courses, seminars, live events, masterminds, online community, any of that. That was what I did first. So you got to find a way where you can do that, where you do something immediately to start making money so you don't resent the time and effort you're putting into growing your business. 
All right. Here we're blasted through a bunch here. Got a couple more I want to get to. But just a reminder here with the music, these are questions. These came, I'm still drawing from the survey that you all did so graciously a couple months ago. I have thousands and thousands of responses in there, and I'm so grateful for those. But these are examples out of there, and I just kind of go with the theme. One of the things I want to go with as a theme here shortly is just to go through and pull out those that have to do with having no support. Not having people around you to cheer you on. That is so critical. I'm finding that I'm finding that to be such a foundational piece to growing success. You have to have people around you who are encouraging you, who believe you, trust you, supporting you. And 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 I'm I'm constantly just grieved at hearing from so many of you who say I don't have anybody. You can develop that. That's just like starting a business in and of itself. Developing friendships, meaningful relationships, people who are going to share ideas and resources with you. I mean, that's something to be learned. You can do that. And I want you to lean into that. Incidentally, with my little music intro there, I forgot to even tell you, yeah, these, of course, are questions. You can submit your questions. I love to put them in the queue to unpack together like this, hopefully in unpacking them. It helps not only you, the person who wrote it, but also a lot of other people listening who are in consider themselves in the same situation. So if you go to 48days.com slash askdan, you'll find there an opportunity to leave your question. You can do it in an audio format or write it out as most people do here. But again, 48days.com slash askdan. Now here, somebody needs to know technical aspects of setting up a web page, online sales, potential for courses and seminars to expand my business. All right, let me tell you how I handle that. I could not set up a web page. I could not set up a process for taking money online for selling courses and seminars. I mean, if you offered me a million dollars today, I could not do it. I have no idea how to do it. I know nothing about the technical aspects of setting up a web page. I've never spent money there, and I've never spent time there. I have never done that. Even when I had no money, it was still easier to find some high school kid who understood how to put up a simple web page, you know, and I give him 300 bucks. I mean, you could still do that, but don't let that be an obstacle to staying true to your zone of genius. My zone of genius is certainly not in setting up web pages and knowing how they work, making all those things fancy in the back. I have no conception of how that's done. So if you are a coach, if you have courses to sell, if you want to do a seminar or whatever, just go to things. You can go to, if you go to mycoachsolutions.com, Chris McCloskey, who is a dear friend of mine, we've been friends for years. Chris is the founder and CEO of PCCI, Professional Christian Coaching Institute, works with a lot of coaches. And so they came up with a solution. So this would not be a stumbling block or an obstacle for new coaches. MyCoachSolutions.com. You pay a, a minimal kind of monthly fee and it's all done for you. It's just there. Uh, you can also go to uh, CoachingWebsites.com, but there's a lot of ways to do the technical part. Don't get bogged down in that if that's not an area of interest or expertise for you. Dan, I started a new job on January 2nd. I want to slowly start a training and development program coaching on the side. How do I goal plan so I have realistic expectations about the learning curve with both situations? 
Okay, I got another one here really, really close to that. Um, well, let me just go on with this next one as well. Dan, I'm currently struggling with starting out and monetizing my passion for coaching and helping people with self-growth. I've been studying about personal growth topics for more than five years. I do believe that I can get and build a business in that area and support many in my community to organize their lives and live their full potential. The question I've been struggling with is how to launch out and start engaging in this passion and reap the benefits that can accrue from it. Here's what I would recommend, how you start, uh, just like I did when I described starting with coaching. Start by offering three individual coaching options. Three different ways. I used to offer that I would just sit down with somebody and go through the DISC profile with them. It was kind of a debriefing to really understand you know, how they were going to relate to other people, what kind of environments they'd be most comfortable in, how they're likely to manage, persuade, sell. I mean, that was just a DISC debriefing. And I used to do those for like $145, I think. But then give them something else. You meet with them maybe three times in the course of a month. And for that, you, know, you charge $600 to do that. Or if they want to engage with you for three months, you have a $1,500 program. I don't know. I mean, just go to coaching sites. We have a lot of coaches in the 48 days network. You can jump on anywhere and find coaches uh, in our network and go to their pages and see what they're offering. Borrow from that. I mean, we encourage you to do that. Don't just try to work it out in a vacuum. Go to the coaches sites and see what they're doing and just Borrow best practices, see what appeals to you, how you can make it a little better for what you're doing. So I'd start with that. Offer three individual coaching options. Then add three speaking topics to give you an opportunity to get the message out to a broader audience and to generate income as well. I mean, you can start by offering to speak at the Rotary Club, uh, Kiwanis, Chamber of Commerce, church events. Sunday school classes, places like that. You can do that all day long, but you can also look for opportunities to show up with a specific message, you know, 25 minute presentation, specific message for a conference that's going to come up. And I'm speaking at a couple conferences coming up where they know my core message ties in with their theme for what they want to do, these entrepreneurial conferences. So happy to do that. But those are paid opportunities as well. So you can do that. And then the third thing, uh, build a simple course based on what you've learned about self-growth. See, there we're getting into things where you can do something once and then get paid over and over. Now, here's an example of that. I've got a course out there on Udemy. Udemy.com, just U-D-E-M-Y. You can go there. Uh, there are a lot of sites like this where they have these massive courses. LinkedIn Learning is like that. Um, there, there are others where they have courses, you're familiar with them, but I've got one out there, how to start a mastermind group. I put it up there. It's been several years ago now. I don't remember exactly how many, but at least three or four years ago, I just looked this morning. There've been 2,410 students that have gone through, through that. They have it priced. Uh, they're pretty much in the driver's seat of that. They have it priced at 54.99. I think I had suggested $48, but they have it priced at 54.99. Well, so 2,410 students have been through that. That, if you do the math on that, it's $133,525.90. Now, I don't pay much attention to that because it just comes in. It's automatic deposits into my account. Every month I get income from that. I only get half of that incidentally. So I don't get that whole thing. So on that one, that example, so I've gotten 60, what, $61,000. Um, 
So th- there's that. Now, we also have that same course available on our site, and we sell lots of them there. That's where we sell most of them. We have it priced at $96, but you can get it now for only 48 Imagine that. Well, it's one of those things, again, that I did some time ago, but it's just an ongoing source of income. And you can do that, and you can do that. Of course, I have you know probably 15 courses like that out there that are just creating revenue over time. But those are the, that's the way I'd approach it, where you want to get started at, lean into the individual coaching, which will give you immediate income, then add three speaking topics. You can develop those over time and build a simple course. And all of a sudden you start getting residual income and you can grow and build your coaching business in doing that. All right. Last one here. Dan, my biggest challenge is the temptation to be okay with being mediocre in my aspiring life coaching practice. One part of me seems to accept this better than mediocre mindset as a decent goal. After all, it's better. The other part of me says, yeah, but it's not great like you really want. To settle for just above mediocre, you'd miss your highest potential. The challenge is to settle for the financial comforts that come with a better than mediocre business, but not a truly great one. I'm so used to mediocre that I'm afraid I'd settle for creating a business goal that's just better than average. Now, you remember I started off today's podcast with this statement. I mean, we, and we all have a sense of what we deserve. So is there a level of success where we should just settle in and be content? Does personal growth always mean more financial success? Now, these are not, I, I don't have specific set concrete answers for everybody on this. Wow. Is there a level of success where we should just settle and be content? I don't think there is for me, but at the same time, I can't justify you know, spending every waking moment just trying to do more, you know, build more, generate more income. I mean, that, that I don't want at any stage of life. And don't recommend it for you if you're 18 or 35 or 65, whatever it is you are. There has to be harmony in other parts of your life. There has to be times where you just spend time with family and friends, where you're going on vacation, you're taking a cruise, you're not going to be focused on making money. It's just part of living well. So there is a time where I think we can spend more time in those other areas, perhaps just a hobby that you want to develop than in just pure making money. But I do think a lot of people settle for less than they're capable of. Now, there's some reasons for that. There's a phenomenon that I've talked about on here before called the upper limit challenge, where we have a sense of deserving and we will sabotage opportunities to take us beyond that level of success. We see that played out a whole lot where people get just to that point where they're going to really be successful and they do something to sabotage it. They just, I don't need to pull out examples. You know well how those work. You know, a pastor whose church grows and then all of a sudden he's having an affair with the secretary and it all goes back to nothing. Well, maybe that upper limit challenge where he thought, I really don't deserve this much. There's a documentary out there called The Weight of Gold. And it's about Olympic athletes who a lot of times, six months after they win the gold medal, they self-destruct. They do things that are very, very self-destructive because the pressure of being on top is just too much. Those are the things you don't want to get caught in. 
I mean, you can live a very simple life, but don't let it be because you have an upper limit challenge where you don't think you deserve more than that. I mean, more people are stopped by the fear of success than they are fear of failure. And here's, and I'll just kind of wrap up with this. Self-doubt is the biggest dream killer of all. So when you think through, what is it you want to, if you think in your mind that you're settling for mediocrity, then I'll guarantee you, you need to be moving beyond that. If the way you're living, you define as mediocre, then you need to do something to move beyond that. Now, if you're living on $20,000 a year, because you've carved out a little space in the woods and you built a little 600 foot house for yourself and you're content with that and you chop wood and you don't need electricity and you draw your water out of the river that's running close by. I mean, I'm totally fine with that. But if you have the sense that your life is mediocre, then by all means, I encourage you, look for the things that would expand what you have now, how you're living now. I mean, I've dealt with the issues, the psychological issues we're addressing here as well, having been raised very, very poor as a son of a Mennonite pastor who eked out a living as a, as a farmer. We were very, very poor. And the things that I've, I decided I was not content with that. I was not going to be content with that because I did see that as less than. And so I've moved beyond that. And again, that's been a very individualized path for me. I don't have a path that I recommend for everybody, but I do recommend that if you have that sense that you're living below your capacity, that you're somehow below what God has really put in you, inspired you to do, then by all means, keep working toward that. Again, self-doubt is the biggest dream killer of them all. Well, here we're going to wrap up with that. Again, thank you so much. I'm honored by your questions. You can shoot those in. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan. Leave your questions there. We'll be including more in upcoming podcast episodes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in those questions. Thanks for being the kind of person who is open to growing and for being a powerful force for making the world a better place. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. How will your idea serve people well? Yes, you can profit financially from that. Anything you can come up with, anything you want to do to make the world a better place, I'm totally confident can benefit you financially as well. Well, become known for your positivity, for offering hope and encouragement to others, and stay committed to your belief, along with me, that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.